And in one more community spotlight moment, we had a special moment happen in our home this week. You know, we like to celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, just draw a little attention, people professing Christ. But we had a moment this week where Annika drove home her first car. And many of you here have called on Annika to be a babysitter. And you contributed to this. Her babysitting savings has now been drained. And she is rolling in what we now refer to as Juliet. So welcome, Juliet, to the family of faith. Yay, Annika. Okay. And also with you. That was the longest pause. So go apprentice to the glory of God. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Aaron. That was great. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I worked, I I don't think I've ever worked so hard to be here with you. Uh, And uh, I started my commute to come to church about midnight last night. And uh, it began in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, after I saw a bittersweet football game because I had divided affections. I am now heavily invested in Texas A&M University. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm growing my wardrobe, uh, and yet I still have this kind of tie to Alabama and Texas A&M. I could not say no to my son's invitation to say, Dad, do you want to go stay with our friends and go to this game? And I was like, oh... And, and it kind of sets up what I want to talk about tonight, is just us being present, us having this connection with God, and us being renewed. Maybe you've picked up on that theme tonight. So, uh, I got home at 1 p.m. Uh, I dropped him off in College Station, kept going. And so, I feel like I've worked really hard to be able to bring this word to you. So, buckle up. Um, some of you might have heard this before, but a few years ago, I was listening to uh, this, this guy. His name is David White. He's an Irish poet. Uh, he does a lot of speaking. In an odd sort of way, he's sort of a, a, con- a motivational contemplative. He's very thoughtful, uh, but he does a lot of corporate speaking. He does a lot of inspirational talks. Um, and he was describing his own journey, and he was just threadbare. He was going kind of... Uh, in all sorts of directions, nothing that no one here can actually relate to, but he was in one of those seasons that he was just, he was working for a nonprofit, and um, they're they're understaffed, and thin margins, and he shows up to a meeting, and he's kind of looking around, and he says, has anyone seen David? Well, he's David. He was feeling so, this outer body experience of just going through the motions, and He kind of recalibrated after the meeting, and he decided, I'm going to walk home. And he had an appointment to meet an old Benedictine monk, uh, friend, priest, that was joining him. And Benedictines don't gather without kind of uncorking a bottle of red wine. But he sat down, and, you know, he took this walk home, and he was just thinking about his pace. He was thinking about deadlines. He was thinking about the shortcomings and the not being able to get everything he needed to get done, let alone wanted to get done, because we do work off of two lists, don't we? And he sat down, he poured himself a glass of wine, and he asked him, he says, please, would you just speak to me about exhaustion? He says, you know, the anecdote to exhaustion is not rest. The anecdote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. 
I'm listening to this. And I had a, oh my God moment. I, I was on a run. It was an audio and I just stopped. And I had to just digest that. The anecdote to exhaustion, and I imagine that you feel a little bit frayed tonight. The anecdote to your exhaustion, your feeling scattered, is not necessarily rest, though I do recommend it. I'm having this conversation with my son all the time. Rest is your friend. The antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. That is such a profound word for us as we live our lives in such scattered fashion. I believe that God provided a way for us to maintain focus, knowing that we are have this tendency to grow profoundly weary, profoundly scattered, very divided in lots of different directions. God had preordained this way so much so that he thought it was so vital that he actually made it a commandment. And he made it a sign of a covenant that he wanted to establish with the people of God, but he started with the Israelites. And he called out Moses in this, what we consider the Mosaic covenant. It was on Mount Sinai. And he said, in order to maintain this wholeheartedness, Sabbath. How are we doing? Now, I get to preach to the choir tonight because you have chosen to come to church. <laughs> so let's go ahead and make sure we kind of shame all the people and shun all the people who didn't. No, I'm teasing. But if you've ever felt so spread thin, if you've ever felt afraid, God had this design in mind so much that he says, I, I command you to do this and I want to seal this covenant. Sabbath. So I want to talk about Sabbath tonight because it has some legalistic connotations that I think if we could better understand Sabbath, we might be able to walk in maybe freedom, uh, but, but maybe even better, renewal. A resensitized heart. A heart that's responsive. A heart that kind of has a growing awareness of God's presence among us. So we have sort of these covenant signs. And uh, if you've been with us the last couple weeks, uh, <clears throat> you have this picture of what it was like God wanted to establish covenant relationship. We tend to resist partnership, but God has been constantly trying to partner with people. And first, he partnered with Noah, and he made a covenant sign, and it would be a rainbow. And the rainbow was the laying down of his uh, weapon, if you will. It was a symbol of weapon. Um, it was the covenant of the bow. And he said, never again will I choose universal judgment. A one-size-fits-all consequence for the wickedness and the evil of all of humanity. There will be a day of judgment. There will be a day of accountability and of reckoning, but it will come individually and eventually. And so God makes this huge commitment to never, and it was to all of creation, it wasn't just to humanity, to all of creation, to never destroy the world again, knowing full well that we would continue in the spiral of evil and wickedness and injustice and abuse and corruption and greed. He said, there's got to be another way. 
couple of chapters later, he, he makes this covenant then with, with Abraham. And he makes a promise to Abraham. And he says, you're going to have a huge family, which was really significant since he was 75 years old and, and him and his wife weren't able to have kids. And then the promise itself took 25 years to fulfill. But he says, look it, you're going to have a huge family, like descendants greatness. And um, from your family, there's going to be royal greatness. And then you're going to get like uh, this really prime piece of land that's going to identify you as the people of God. Uh, and, and get this, universal blessing will flow through you. I will bless you and you will be a blessing and it will reach the entire world. Okay, that's a huge promise. But he seals it with the covenant of circumcision. Kind of a big deal when you've been shooting blanks, when you've been barren, when you've been unable, and God has made this 25-year-in-waiting promise, and then he says, I want you all to circumcise yourself, which in that condition, that medical treatment would have been three months minimally for healing time, to be able to be sexually capable of again of being able to conceive. Well, we know that nine months later, and he says, in a year from now, you're going to be able to do this. What God was saying was, I will bring life in my timing. It was a powerful picture to submit to God's faithfulness, even when we feel out of control. God would get all of the credit, and this was to be the sign. Now we have this third covenant where they're in Egypt. They're in Egypt because there was a famine. So you're following this line, and now God's promise is starting to come true. They're in Egypt, and they're multiplying like crazy. In fact, this new Pharaoh is getting so threatened with his ego, and they're, they're multiplying so much that he says, we have got to oppress these people and make them slave laborers. So now begins 400 years of oppressive work for the people of God, and they're just crying out for deliverance. Well, God finally answers that and delivers them, and now they're in the wilderness, and it's not long after that they're kind of grumbling and complaining and thinking, it was better in Egypt. But then they bring them to Sinai, and God shows up in a big way. And he reveals these covenant, these commandments, 10 commandments, and what he says is the sign of the covenant. And you'd think the sign of this covenant would be tablets, right? Except that he says, no, no, the sign of this covenant is going to be Sabbath. Think about that. Because I'm doing the study on that, and I started realizing, so the only way that we could really seal this deal, the only way we could actually walk in obedience, because what God was saying is, I'm selecting out from you a people group who will become like a royal priesthood. Don't think of priesthood as professional clergy. Think about it as if you said yes to following Christ, we all are ministers, which I simply define as putting the divine on the display, regardless of your day job. God wanted to have a people set apart for himself so that there would be a people that would be light to all the ends of the world. And we are a part of that descendancy. We come into relationship with Christ as maybe not 
sons of Abraham because we're not necessarily Jewish, but in the act of God through Christ, we are grafted in and we are charged with that. Now, before that gets overwhelming, understand this. God said, I know that you tend to get a little weary. I know that you're prone to distraction. I know that you want to live life to the fullest and you all struggle with FOMO and you don't want to miss out on any good thing. Check it out. There's one way to sustain your heart. There's one way to walk with God in wholeheartedness. In a word, Sabbath. So how am I defining Sabbath? I would simply say it as this a standing appointment with God. Now, there were those that took the law and built out so many rules that you weren't able to lift certain things or walk a certain distance. There was such a legalistic, restrictive way in the Old Testament and in the law to say, this is the way to honor God on the Sabbath. Jesus comes along, and by the way, Jesus talks about Sabbath, but he doesn't talk about Sabbath in terms of a day because he talks about Sabbath in terms of Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for Sabbath. So don't worship Sabbath. Sabbath is a way that you can live in wholeheartedness. Are you tired? Are you weary? Then I would simply say, what is your discipline? What is your rhythm for having a standing appointment with God? Because a standing appointment with God does two things. It not only renews us, renews our sensitivities with God, but it also gets to celebrate community that when you're weak, I'm strong. When I'm weak, you're strong. And we don't try and live out this calling to a royal priesthood in and of ourselves. God said, if you want to live the life for which I have set you apart for, practice Sabbath. Not in a legalistic way, but you better try and have a standing appointment with God. Now, I think of that as kind of if you grow up in, in the Western tradition, we are very individualistic. We think about a personal relationship with Jesus, which is super important. But understand that the Hebrew mind was a collective mind. They thought about communally. So even though um, it was about a personal conviction to follow, a personal response to follow, their mindset was, as, as, as one benefits, we all benefit. And so this is where we get the precedence and the need for coming together in worship, in fellowship, in testimony, and in prayer. We think, oh, I've been to church so many times I've lost count. And certainly I can miss one more. And the Cowboys are on at 3.30 or whatever. But I'm saying the precedence, the priority is that we would maintain wholeheartedness and not just give way to whatever passing opportunity is in front of us. God said, have a standing appointment with me and my people so that we can experience wholeheartedness. We could feel alive. We could be renewed. We could have a sensitized heart. This is what 
it was supposed to be like and all of that. And so God makes this covenant and he gives us these signs and then he dedicates and says, this is the standing appointment. See, Sabbath can give us an awareness of God um, and sensitize us to the idea of turning. And let me just say this, Sabbath is not inactivity. We tend to think of Sabbath as do nothing. And I would say, actually, Sabbath is way more. It is the standing appointment with God and community, uh, but it also becomes like a tithe. Think about that. Sabbath as a tithe. I want to yield in such a way and set such an importance on this that I trust God not just with my finances, I trust God with the hours in my day and my week. Because I think that if I somehow stop right now and take a break, or if I back off, who's going to do it? If it's going to get done, it's going to be me. And if you've ever operated in a small business, you're like, man, this is not going to happen if I don't do it. Do you trust God? Then honor Sabbath. Create a standing appointment with God and his community. This is why it's so, so critical um, to, for us to work out. So this is what he says. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. The Sabbath. The standing appointment with God was created for you to walk in fellowship with each other, other believers, and with your creator. So well done. You're here today. And I love that because I came a long way to tell you just that. According to God, the only way a faith, a family, or a nation is to be set apart as holy is if we commit to a standing appointment with God. Because simply this, a standing appointment forces us to trust. To trust. If you're working seven days a week, I hope that you would feel some kind of conviction. I hope that God would ask you or invite you to yield. If you feel the need to constantly be checking emails, don't. As, an, as a discipline, as an act of faith. We talk about faith as a practice. Practice not opening up emails. Practice not replying. Trust God. Work can wait. Work is a gift. It is a blessing. Trust God with it. Just like we do with our finances. God, you've given me all of this. I don't want to believe that I deserve any of it, but I want to give a portion of it back to you. It is the same with our time. And the best thing we can do is not only begin to practice that, but begin to prioritize that for our kids. They need to see that. They need to recognize that. Stuff doesn't crowd in. I think it's super important. I started out by saying the anecdote for <laughs> exhaustion is not necessarily rest. Though I'm a huge fan of rest, I can't wait to crawl in bed tonight. <laughs> but the anecdote for exhaustion is being able to give my whole heart and saying, God, I'm so exhausted. God, I'm, 
I'm so afraid. God, I feel so threadbare. God, I feel so disappointed with people. God, I feel alone. And he's like, yeah, I'm glad you made this appointment with me. That's the intimacy he's inviting us to. So apparently, wholeheartedness needs dedicated time and community. And I think all of us like to have fun. We all like to kind of satisfy ourselves. Life's greatest need is connecting with, with him. Um, I read a, a story that I thought was kind of appropriate. And it was a story about an... It was just a funny little... It's almost Reader's Digest sounding. But it was a story of... Uh, an all-day wood chopping contest between kind of a young buck and an old uh, lumberjack. And the young buck was full of brawn and vitality and had youth on his side. And so they started this job. And, and it seemed like the, as the day wore on, the more he looked over, the more the older lumberjack was just taking a rest. He's like, every time I sit down, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to own this guy. You know, with all the bravado going back and forth. And he's just working so hard. But at the end of the day, the old lumberjack won. He's like, how is that possible? Every time I looked over it, you were sitting down. You were sipping coffee. And the old guy says, well, every time I rested, I was sharpening my axe. The anecdote for exhaustion isn't just rest. It's not inactivity. We have this idea in our mind that somehow Sabbath is a luxury, that somehow rest is for the weak, that somehow pause or yield or, or, or dedicating time for God is somehow a, a compromise of what we really want to do. And God is simply inviting you to intimacy with him to say, I want to establish my presence. Remember in Revelation 3.20, it says this, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. God does not kick down the door of your day or your heart or your mind or your life. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if whoever would open the door, I want to come in and dine with them and them with me. Oh, what God seeks to do at our willingness to yield is establish his presence in our lives. We need a standing appointment with God. We need a standing appointment with God each other. This is actually one of the most renewing times of the week. I get here early, I set up, I just can't wait for people to come in. It's good to see faces. I see some things that happen during the week and I grab, oh, someone had a birthday, someone had an anniversary, someone got a new car, and then we get to all come together. That feels like family reunion to me. And um, I think that that is worth prioritizing. And so you ask, you know, <clears throat> this series, um, I think everyone worries, and you know, we all sit here and worry, is, is there going to be enough? Uh, will it get done? Am I, am, I, <laughs> am I able to be loved? Uh, God invites us to trust him because I think we all need simply a tangible reminder to make God the center. And so Sabbath is at times a discipline that forces us to trust him with our time, it, it, trust him with our thoughts, trust him with our finances, trust him with our community, with our, even our personal preferences. Um, and the reason I wanted to spend time going through covenant 
is because what I'm trying to do is, is do a little research for myself and do a little advance work for us as a community because I want to establish what does it mean to be a part of a church. And I want to talk about what it means to be uh, in, in kind of a covenant relationship. What I'm working us up to is the idea of church membership. And I think of membership as this woefully sort of static thing that you sign a letter and you're like, okay, and they're like, hey, just give some money here and maybe volunteer a little bit and get here as much as you can. And it feels like such a static commitment. And so I'm trying to reimagine ways about how we can be in covenant relationship, not just with God, but with each other. So what are the vows that we're exchanging one to another? Because I think that there's something really dynamic. And so I wanted to explore the covenant nature of God's relationship with us, that God seeks to have a partnership with us. And certainly part of that is us creating and, and, and prioritizing a standing appointment. It's super valuable. It makes a difference. Um, but maybe the thing that I, I would like us to be able to see is that um, I would like to think of our commitment to a body of believers, our membership, if you will, is actually more like a spiritual fitness plan. That when you yield yourself, you say, I'm all in. This is what I want to do. And oh, by the way, it's not something you do once and for all. I want to create something that we begin to have a renewable vow every year. So we stand before each other and go, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. This, the, you, these are my people. Uh, and this is how I want to serve, and this is how I want to give. Um, and so hopefully in the next few months, we're going to roll out what it looks like to be in covenant partnership, in, in, in relationship, not only with God in an individual sense, but collective sense, because we make each other better. So how could we not just have this static commitment of, oh yeah, I've been a member of that church for 20 years. Or what if we covenanted together and said, this is actually like joining a gym and I happen to be a spiritual fitness instructor. And if I want to be worth my salt, I want to give you kind of a fitness plan. And so we begin to think it's about practice, not just programs. It's about a living faith. It's about one that I not only practice, but I can articulate to my kids and those closest so I can actually give it away. This is what I'm looking forward to doing. So uh, can we just pray about that and celebrate that? And just, uh, I wanted to give you some thoughts. Father, I'm aware that just first and foremost, there are those of us who have come in and are just feeling wiped out. And maybe it was the last bit of fumes escaped us on the way over here because the kids were nonstop. Maybe this week, behind us or the week in front of us feels daunting and we just want more weekend. Maybe we played so hard in this weekend and we just feel physically zapped. Father, I just pray that you would meet us in a really personal way. I, I pray that just even in, in, in our corporately singing out worship, felt so good to just simply say the words, I surrender all. Even if I don't, it felt good to say that. <laughs> but will you, help me? Will, you, will you help me step one step closer to just giving you more? So that I could say, you're the center. And in you, there's life. Life to the fullest. We want to walk an abundant life. 
want to walk in your covenant love. I thank you for this community of folks who have just said, I do to you and I do to one another. Thank you that you're growing a shared practice. But I pray that you would just court us, Lord, that you would just invite us to yourself where there's just this gentle nudge to say, be present now, be with me, be here. May we capture a standing appointment where the ministry of your Holy Spirit is whispering your profound love, your divine affirmation, um, your, your, your grief, so that we can be more properly aligned with you. Oh, <laughs> Father, you have given us these commands to be a royal and a holy nation, a, a, a royal priesthood. We want to put you on display. But I pray that you would fill us, fill us with your spirit, that you would renew our hearts and our minds. And so we just celebrate you and worship. We declare your worth. We want to practice gratitude even when it feels like a chore. So just descend on us now, would you? Would you just be with us as we're with you? In Jesus' name.